0: Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Uh, Luke chapter 2, our text today will be uh, verses 22 through 35. Uh, We are going to read about an event that took place shortly after the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Many times this time of year, we tend to focus on uh, the announcements, and we've looked at that. We've looked at how uh, the angel came and spoke to Mary. We've looked at uh, how John the Baptist's father uh, his proclamation about the coming of the Lord. A lot of times we focus on the wise men or the shepherds. Uh, but today I want to take us to a passage that uh, you may not have focused as much on but that occurs just after the birth of Christ when his parents, Joseph and Mary, take him to the temple to present him to the Lord. And so we're going to read Luke 2, verses 22 through 35. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you go ahead and stand as I read this text for us. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is, that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. If you would, pray with me. Father, we come to You in the name of Christ, and we pray that You would bless this Word today in our lives as we celebrate this Christmas Day As we celebrate this time of year when we remember the birth of Christ, would you help us to better understand the gospel of Christ today? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you again for being with us this Lord's Day, this special Lord's Day as we celebrate Christmas. I'm sure for many of you, you've already had a Christmas celebration this morning. Uh, My children were asking me throughout the week, uh, Dad, are we going to open up gifts before or after church? As if there was a question there. Uh, They woke us up and made sure we opened up things before we came today. Uh, Everybody probably experienced something last night or today along the lines of of Christmas traditions. You may have a tradition of opening up certain gifts on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, certain things that you do, uh, certain movies that you watch. Uh, In my home, one of the traditions for years has been to watch uh, one of those deeply spiritual Christmas movies, A Christmas Story. And so uh, you may have started in that 24-hour marathon already of watching it. I've taped it and look forward to watching it this afternoon. Uh, But if you're a poor soul this morning who's never seen A Christmas Story, uh, let me give you just a snapshot of it. It was a 1983 classic about a nine-year-old boy named Ralphie. And all Ralphie wanted for Christmas was a BB gun. But not just any BB gun. A Red rider, carbine action, 200 shot, range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. One person has seen the movie. <laughs> I will be praying for your souls today. Alright, I'll give you another chance. Uh, every time Ralphie talks about wanting this Uh, bb gun uh, people respond with no you're going to you are redeemed (laughs) everyone tells him he's going to shoot his eye out and so christmas morning comes and of course uh, he gets the pink bunny outfit from his aunt clara and gets all these things Uh, but lo and behold there seems to be no bb gun And it seems that everything's done and there he is, you know the scene where he's sitting on the couch with his mom and dad and his dad points out that gift in the corner and sure enough, Ralphie gets his BB gun and sure enough, Ralphie does what? He shoots his eye, well he almost shoots his eye out and breaks his glasses. I love that movie, there's so many great lines in it, but something I always think of when I see a Christmas story is that they almost had Christmas Day without receiving that all-important gift. There was Ralphie on the couch thinking Christmas morning was over, and he had missed the most important gift his parents had for him. And as I think about that, I can't help but think about what it is for us, brothers and sisters, as believers in Christ, every Christmas, every year, to go through all the hustle and all the busyness and all the expense that comes with Christmas, And so often, we can easily go through it and miss out on the most important gift of Christmas. And so I am very thankful today uh, that Christmas has fallen on the Lord's Day uh, because this is a built-in opportunity for us as brothers and sisters in Christ just to take a moment not to miss out on that all-important gift and to take a moment to realize and recognize the significance of Christ in that manger that cradle, that gift that God gave to us. And so I want to point out just a few things this Christmas morning along the lines of this passage that the cradle of Christ points us to. And you can see the first one in your notes there. The cradle points us to the cross. The cradle points us to the cross. We see here that Mary and Joseph are coming to present Jesus at the temple. Now this is very different than any type of custom we might have today uh, in some church traditions. Uh, children are dedicated, they are presented in different ways in the church. Uh, here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, we focus on the family, and so we focus on a family dedication. And so uh, along the lines of Mother's Day, usually, if you've been blessed with a child and your family, we'll have a family dedication uh, because we want to make sure that we as a church are praying for these families and praying for these children that God has brought into their families. Well, in Joseph and Mary's day, when a child was born, they were brought to the temple. And when they were brought to the temple, there was a sacrifice that was made. And there's something we learn about Mary and Joseph in this passage based on what we know about the history of Israel in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 12, we actually read about sacrifices that were made at the temple. And for the most part... When people would dedicate a child like this, they would sacrifice a lamb. But you notice in this passage that Luke points out to us that what they were preparing to sacrifice was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We read in Leviticus 12 that there's this allowance made for families who just didn't have very much. Families who were poor. Families who were of humble means. Families who couldn't afford to sacrifice a lamb they then were allowed to sacrifice the turtle doves or the pigeons. And so we learn something here about the humble family in which our Lord was born into. But I don't want us to miss the bigger picture of what's happening here. And the bigger picture is that Mary and Joseph are going to make a sacrifice. And that sacrificial system is one we see throughout God's word going all the way back to the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And as soon as they sinned against God, they attempted to cover their own sin. And the Scripture tells us that when God comes to them and rebukes them for their sin, one of the things that He does is He sacrifices an animal so that He might cover them in the skins of that animal. And we see from that point moving forward throughout the Old Testament, this sacrificial system where people would come to the temple and they would attempt to cover their sin or make sacrifices because of their sin in hopes that that would give them a better standing before God. But God had told His people that this would not give them the the standing that they desired, that this sacrifice would not make them righteous because it was pointing towards a greater sacrifice. And let me show you where the Scripture talks about that. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, you can just jot that down there in your handout. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read about this sacrificial system and its shortcomings. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, people could not be made righteous by sacrificing a lamb or sacrificing turtle doves or pigeons. He goes on to say, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says if the turtle dove or the pigeons or the lamb was sufficient to take care of the sins of someone, well, then why would they ever offer another one? Because they would be made clean. But he goes on to say, no, this system was there to point us towards something else. For it's impossible, he writes, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now notice, this is what the writer of Hebrews then tells us. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Friends, what the writer of Hebrews is sharing with us is amazing here. What we know from the Scripture is that Christ has always been and Christ will always be. And what we have here is a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ who is about to come and be born of a virgin and be born of Mary. And that pre-incarnate Christ is saying, God, you've already told us that you take no pleasure in these sacrifices. But now I'm prepared to go and to be born and for this body you've prepared for me so that I might be the one true sacrifice. So that I might be the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, when we look to the cradle, that points us directly to the cross. And we see it in Jesus' words, and we see it throughout God's word. And so make sure when we celebrate this Christmas day that you don't miss the significance of that. Because without the cross... There's no significance of the cradle. Jesus being born in and of itself did not save us. And Jesus living a perfect life in and of itself did not save us. We are saved by the atoning death of Christ on the cross. John MacArthur makes this point along these lines. He says, it's appropriate to commemorate the birth of Christ. But don't make the mistake of leaving him as a baby in a manger. Keep in mind that his birth was just the first step in God's glorious plan of redemption. And remember that it's the triumph of Christ's sacrificial death that gives meaning to his humble birth. You can't truly celebrate one without the other. And so we see here the cradle pointing us towards the cross. Second, you see there in your outline, the cradle then points us also Christ's return. And notice as we continue in this passage Mary and Joseph go to make this sacrifice and there in the temple we're introduced to someone else. We're introduced to this man named Simeon. And you notice the text tells us several things about Simeon. Verse 25 tells us that he was a righteous and devout man. This means that he was seeking to follow God's word that he was seeking to honor God and obey God, that he was seeking to love God, and also that he was seeking to love others. And so that tells us a bit about Simeon. We also read there in verse 25 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that term might not be familiar to you. Basically what it means is comfort. Uh, Simeon was one who was waiting for the comfort of Israel. And that phrase goes back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see God's people were longing for the consolation, longing for the comfort that would come when the Messiah came. You see, all the way back in that garden, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were removed from the presence of God, and God told them after making that sacrifice and covering them with those animal skins, He said that one day a Redeemer would come, and that Redeemer would ultimately be their comfort that Redeemer would ultimately be the consolation of Israel. And so here we have this man, Simeon, who's been going to the temple every day, waiting, longing, anticipating that Messiah being born. In fact, the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him and that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Christ before his death. And now this day comes, and in response... He prays to the Lord. And just think about this for a moment. Uh, We in our culture today, it's common to hear a phrase, bucket list. A bucket list is a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Yeah, there you go. And so a lot of people on their bucket list are things like, uh, you know, I want to go see the Grand Canyon. Uh, I talked to somebody this morning who wants to go to Hawaii. There's these different things we want to do before we die. And we call it our bucket list. Friends, be clear on this. Simeon's longing to see the Messiah was not just something on his bucket list. This was the focal point of his entire life. We don't know at what point God revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died, but I assure you from that point moving forward, every day of his life, this man would wake up with one thing in mind. He would be longing for for the Messiah. Every day he would wake up, he would then get ready and he would go to the temple and as he would go to the temple, Simeon would likely be thinking, "Lord, is today the day? Is today the day that I'm going to meet the Christ? Is today the day that I'm going to see the Messiah? Is today the day that I'm going to see a mother and a father entering into that temple to present their child and you're going to help me to know this is the one." who's the consolation of Israel. And as he would go through that day in and day out, then this day would come. And when this day came, the Spirit reveals to Simeon that this indeed would be the Christ. And so he then responds in prayer to the Lord. Friends, this is a great reminder to us that we serve a God who keeps His promises. Christmas Day more than anything else should be a great reminder to us that we serve a God who keeps His promises. And He doesn't always keep them on our calendar. And He doesn't always do things the exact moment we want Him to do them. And He may not do them in the way that we want Him to do them. But God is faithful to His Word. And God will always do what God says He will do. So what has God said that He would do? Well, friends, there you have a great motivation to spend time reading the Word of God, that you and I might know what these promises are. And let me give you just one of them today. Also, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5, he reminds us of the Lord's words, where the Lord says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, Christ has made a promise to you that He's never going to leave you and He's never going to forsake you. And you can hold on to that promise. And you need to hold on to that promise because you will have days and perhaps you have already had days and perhaps you are now currently today having a day where you feel a bit forsaken by God. Christmas is a wonderful day. It's a wonderful time to celebrate. It's a wonderful time to gather with our family. But Christmas for many of us can also be a very hard day. Because Christmas is a reminder of who's not at the table with us. Christmas is a reminder of who was here last year, who's not here this year. Christmas is a reminder to us of those we've lost. Christmas is a reminder to us of pains that we've suffered. And in the midst of that reminder, friend, we need to focus on the Word of God and the promise of God. Which tells us, Christ says, I will never leave you nor forsake you because there will be days when you will feel perhaps abandoned. And there will be days when you perhaps feel forsaken. And in those days, you and I need to cling to the promises of God. A great reminder of this is a story that many of you may be familiar with. It came along the writing of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, that familiar Christmas hymn penned by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. What you may not know fully is the story of how that song came to be. Longfellow was born in 1807. He was a very bright young man. By the time he was 19, he was already a college professor. Uh, within a few years, by the time he was 24, uh, he would marry his, his sweetheart from his youth. And they would have what would appear to be the, the picture-perfect marriage. And just a few years after that, they were expecting their first child when his wife became ill. And her illness not only cost them the life of their child, ultimately her illness led to her own death. As Longfellow made it through this tragedy, more would come. Seven years later, he remarried. It seemed that life was coming back together for him. He and his wife would go on to have six children. Uh, But then in 1861, his second wife died in a tragic accident. She was putting locks of her children's hair into envelopes as keepsakes and she was melting wax on the envelopes when her dress caught fire. Uh, while a Longfellow was sleeping at the time, taking a nap. He awoke to his wife engulfed in flames. He tried to put out the flames with a rug. Then, with his own body, he covered her. Uh, but it was too late. Her burns were so severe that she would die the next day. Uh, Longfellow's burns were so severe that he couldn't even attend his wife's own funeral. But tragedy would continue for him. And not long after that, his oldest son would return from the Civil War. He had been shot and the bullet damaged an area near his spinal cord and he was in danger of being paralyzed and never walking again. This man experienced so much tragedy and so much heartache that he sat down one day and began to pin a song that we now sing. On Christmas Day, 1863, Longfellow wrote these words. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Perhaps some of you have felt that way. (laughs) That in despair, as you bow your head, you look around and you hear people singing of the peace that's supposed to come on Christmas Day. And yet you don't feel that peace. Well, as the story goes, Longfellow, as he penned these words on Christmas Day, he then heard in the distance the Christmas bells. And as he heard those bells, he continued to write, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. God, through the ringing of those bells, reminded Longfellow that he was not dead and he was not asleep. But friends, this morning, we have something better than a Christmas bell. We have the very Word of God and the promises of God. Where God Himself tells us He is not dead, He is not asleep. Where God Himself tells us that the pain and the suffering in this world will one day end. And the Gospel indeed will prevail. And so this Christmas Day, we hold to those promises. Just as we see this picture here of Simeon longing for the first coming of our Lord, God's Word tells us we are to long for the second coming of our Lord. As he longed for the first advent, we long for the second. The day when Christ makes all things new. The day when Christ rights all wrongs. And friends, that day is most certainly coming. You know how I know that? Because God promised that it will. We read this from Christ Himself in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, ye may also be." So friends, this Christmas Day as we hold to the promises of God, know that He has not left us. He has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. In fact, the Word says He will one day return for us. And the cradle of Christ points us towards this. And then one other thing I want to point out from this passage, point three. It's very possible (laughs) for us to accept these things about the cradle but completely reject the cross. It's possible for us to look to the cradle and look to these nativity scenes and to associate them with peace on earth and goodwill toward man and joy to the world. And it's possible for us to come today and to sing about those things and to identify with that message and yet completely miss out on the Gospel. In fact, it's possible for us to even hear that gospel and reject it. You see, we associate the the cradle, the manger scene so often with peace on earth. And ultimately, Christ did bring peace on earth. But the Scripture also tells us that He would bring great division. And that's the last part of Simeon's prophecy coming off of his prayer that I want to point out to us. Notice there in uh, Luke... In verses 34 and 35, what we read. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now that's, I'm guessing, not exactly what mary was expecting to hear at the temple that day i mean just again imagine for a moment if we were in our context here on mother's day to have a family dedication and your child your grandchild your nephew niece was up here on stage and we were praying for them and we gave them a bible and i was praying for the day that they would come to know christ and then as i was praying for that i looked to those parents and i said oh what a blessing and and also Are you ready for a sword to go through you? (laughs) Are you ready for for division to come? If I were to say that, people might have a bit of a puzzled look on their face. But there's a context here we need to understand. What Simeon is pointing to is what Christ Himself would actually go on to say in Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to earth, Jesus says. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what Jesus was saying here is that His gospel would be one that that would be great, great hope for many. But it would also bring great division to others. See friends, if you truly respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you truly believe that in that garden many years ago that when Adam and Eve sinned, that the consequence of that sin was death that would be passed down to us today. And if you truly believe that that promise that God gave of a Messiah that would come was fulfilled in what we celebrate here each Christmas day in the incarnation. And if you truly believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man who grew and lived a righteous and perfect life and in obedience to the Father went to the cross and died in your place and in my place, And if you truly believe Christ's words where He Himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through Me. If you believe that message, and if you respond in repentance and faith, and if you seek to walk with the Lord and live in obedience to His Word, people won't like that. Our world will not embrace that. And you don't even have to stand up in the public uh, sector and say to them, you're in sin and call them to repentance. Just your very life lived in obedience to God is enough to bring conviction to the ungodly. And that will bring great division. And we see that division around the world already. And we are seeing that division more and more in our culture today. And so Simeon here tells Mary, Mary, a sword's going to pierce through your own soul also. It's interesting that Simeon here points to Mary. Because Mary is one that we see both as one who obeys God at times and one who struggles to believe at times. We see as she's given this birth announcement that Christ is coming, we studied this a few weeks ago, that she embraces that message with faith. That she trusts in the Lord. But not long after that, as Christ would be born and He would grow, we read something interesting in Mark chapter 3. This is at a point where Jesus has began His ministry. He's calling people to repentance. And He's starting to bring this division. And this division even comes to His own family. And what we read there in Mark chapter 3 is that at one point His own family, His mother and His brothers, think that He is out of His mind. And so they go to where he's preaching, and they try to take him and say to him, Listen, you you need to just back down here. You need to come home with us. And that's when, you may be familiar with it, that's when Jesus said, Who's my mother and who's my brothers? And he points to those who are truly following him. And so Mark there gives us a picture into the struggle of faith that Mary would have had. Yes, she believed in the promises of God, but she struggled to fully understand those promises as they were coming to fruition. But ultimately, we see there at the cross of Christ, among those who are following Jesus, we see His mother Mary. And it's a beautiful reminder to us that friends, if you're a follower of Christ today, you don't have to have it all together. <laughs> in fact, you don't have to have anything together. The gospel of Christ is not a call for us to get our act together. The gospel of Christ is a reminder to us of how utterly messed up we are. And so I just want to say this word to you today. If you're a guest, if you've never been here to Bloomfield Baptist Church before, if you're sitting here, Perhaps looking around thinking, well, I just don't know if I fit in. These people all look so nice. They look like they've got it all together. Let me just make sure you know all these people are messed up today. This is the biggest island of misfit toys you will ever encounter in your life. But what brings us together is the cross of Jesus Christ. And what brings us together is the understanding that we don't get our act together in order to come to the Lord. We come to the Lord knowing our desperate need and the darkness of our own heart, trusting that Christ's death was indeed sufficient for our sin. And this Christmas Day, if you've yet to come to understand that, I hope that you will. And that you'll be reminded, even as I've shared about Mary this morning, that The Christian faith is not just for people who have their act together. And the Christian faith is not dependent on how much faith you have or how perfect your faith is. The Christian life rests on who your faith is in. So whether you have a little faith this morning or you have a lot of faith this morning, the question is, who is your faith in this morning? And the invitation for you and for all of us is to place that faith fully in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can think of no better way to celebrate this Christmas Day than to extend that invitation to you today to wholly place your faith in Jesus.